I was about a hundred yards away from those guys once, and uh, they stole all of our audience. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies, shows, and music from two people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantees implied. Aaron Dicer and Jeremy Scott. Tim uh, was not and is not a painter. So I didn't know he had this whole little uh, sub-obsession <laughs> with, uh, with Vermeer. Oh, shit. I mean, <laughs> hi, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got a guy here mowing my lawn, uh -huh. and I've also got uh, some pretty loud thunder, and I was looking out to see if it had started raining yet and sure this poor guy is going to get lightninged on um and uh the show started welcome everybody <laughs> welcome. Um, welcome uh specifically to everybody in the live chat thank you for coming out on a weird day uh to discuss some fun movies with us uh <clears throat> the big recommend for today is tim's vermeer this is episode 72 i'm jeremy scott and i'm aaron dicer Oh, dramatic. Uh, Aaron, do you have any small recommends for us this week? It's no big deal. It's so small and light. It's small, it's tiny, it's petite, it's wee. Of course I do. Let's do it. Um, right. As is per usual, apparently, for me, I've got a TV show and a movie. Let's start mm -hmm. with the TV show because I'm itching to talk about it. Let's talk about the bear season two. And here's where we hijack tim's vermeer <laughs> and the entire show becomes about season two of the bear uh jeremy in private you have said some uh some pretty drastic things about the quality of this show that maybe yeah. it's the the best season of television in the history is of entertainment maybe? is it maybe i need to watch it more times um, it's really, really good. Now you look at a show like The Bear, which had a great first season, um, great character work. In this second season, instead of doing the usual sophomore slump, which is a real thing in television, sure. just absolutely rockets it to another level. The character work in this season is so intricate and good. Um, I got through, I, I think this was basically what I tweeted, but I got through the first five episodes and I was already like, this is transcendent television making. And then the second half of the season even jumped up another notch. So um, that was before you got to episode six. Correct. <laughs> six, episode six, which first of all is one of those things where you're like, wait, and they're here and they're here. Yeah. And like, seriously. it was just like. It just it, with without a lot of pomp and circumstance, all of a sudden, all of these heavyweight actors are playing roles, and um, and that's before you get to just the the intensity of the the authenticity of that family trauma. And oh my god! So it just teaches you so much about this family and who they were and why things are the way they are and all that kind of stuff. And then it launches into episode after episode of just incredible that that uh richie episode oh my gosh might be my favorite of the season even more than episode six i i that uh every second counts episode was it just blew my mind um this just this is phenomenal tv and i think it's 
well worth being in the discussion as hyperbolic as it might be of uh of best season of television so what are some of your thoughts jeremy i i want to okay so first of all i want to i'm there's no way i can avoid giving a backhanded compliment here um so i have to but the the creator is a guy named christopher storer um and if you look at his imdb it's almost 95 percent stand-up comedy specials Hmm. he's got a couple tv movies a couple tv specials um he's been a producer on some things but as a creator uh and if you take away just director as a writer um he's only got six credits as a writer and i've never heard of any of them uh tv short tv movie short uh how does a guy like that do Shohei Otani <laughs> type? How does he come out of the gate with his first scripted series and it's perfect? Yeah. How does that happen? I don't know. It just happened. It legitimately makes me at times not want to try and write stories because <laughs> I can. I will never do this. Um, and that's I'm I'm exaggerating for the most part there, but this is Everest level storytelling from a guy that appears to me to have come out of storytelling nowhere it's just it's incredible almost everybody gets their own episode it's very lost like in that way Mm -hmm. i felt yeah um and the episode where we go to copenhagen with marcus yes he is training with um i almost called him ian poulter that's the golfer (laughs) what's his name will will poulter who i didn't remember was british um and there's this great extended quiet scene where they're both just working with dough and talking uh and he imparts this wisdom one of the themes throughout the entire show is failure um almost almost everybody either fails or is told it's good to fail it helps you grow Mm um to uh the the forks episode you're talking about with richie and he's with uh, olivia Oscar winner, um, and they're peeling um, mushrooms. She talks about her previous failures, mm-hmm. uh, and she's now a three Michelin star chef. What, they play Strange Currencies by R.E.M. like at least three times in this season, and there's a lyric in that song that says, I need a chance, a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, and I just feel like this show is somehow uplifting. <laughs> Even though it is anxiety-inducing and all of these people are broken, it ends messy the mm-hmm. season. But I'm still so hopeful. That's magic. That, to me, is magic. And I'm just amazed. So I don't think there's any way a third season will be anything but good uh, after what they did jumping from season one to season two. Um, and, I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis is going to win an Emmy for this appearance. But there are, like I tweeted, there are four people in episode six that could legitimately win a guest star Emmy. Mm -hmm. Um, That could be a movie standing alone on its own. It's just that good. Anyway, thank you for letting me uh, piggyback on your small recommend. You can continue talking about the bear if you like. I mean, honestly, we we could talk about it for a long time. Um, I think the way I'll sum up so many of the things that I would want to say about it is just the intricate character work just how well it works for each individual piece of the puzzle, how those pieces interact with each other. Um, I think of the the Carmi-Sydney relationship and how interesting 
that relationship is uh, because we are trained to see that as a will they, won't they kind of thing through the history of television. And this show doesn't treat it like that at all. It treats their their understanding of their each other, their respect for each other, their love for each other as a genuine thing. But it also real as some as as somebody who has a uh, a uh, real wife in a a, uh, a show wife, uh, it gets that under that understanding of you know how people can be involved in different relationships in different ways, and like it's so interesting when he's back with uh, his girl in this season or whatever, how she reacts to that and how supportive she is of that. And like all that, like, it's just, I find all that stuff intricate in, in, in real and interesting. And every character is like that. You could you just go down the list. Every character has all this stuff, you know, about them. It's magic. And it really is. Nobody is left to twist in the wind. Story wise. Everybody gets meat. Like Pete gets every one a of meat. these characters Pete gets a moment. Yeah, like in the yeah. in the final, I think it's the final episode, right, where he's the only one that talks to to the mom, and like the yeah. way he processes that, like Pete, you know, Pete's just this guy on the side, and all of a sudden he's like having this big moment. Uh, yeah, yeah, that actor nailed that whole scene. Yeah, um, yeah, I love it. I, will, I I have five thumbs up for this show, and I only have two hands, <laughs> but um, it's so good. Uh, all right, it Jeremy, is- what's yours? It is for the those who aren't aware. The the bear is on Hulu now and will at some point come to FX, the cable channel. Um, those are your only two ways to watch it, other than illegal things that I I don't know anything about. Know <laughs> uh, my first small recommend is a 1967 movie that I caught five or six days ago uh, for the first time in many many years. In the heat of the night, um, this is Sidney Poitier and Rod Steiger. Um, there is a murder in Mississippi. The victim is a man that was about to build a factory that a lot of townspeople didn't want. And the sheriff, Rod Steiger, finds a black man at a train station and naturally arrests him for the murder because he is black. Um, this movie is steeped in southern racist small town culture. Um, almost everybody, almost everybody, uh, does not like Sidney Portier because he is black. There's a, a wealthy man in town that he suspects might have done it, and that man slaps Sidney Portier in the face, and so he slaps him back, mm-hmm. and the white man acts indignant, like mm-hmm. I, he can't even fathom this dude slapped him back because of the racial uh, difference. Um, so he sends a gang of thugs after him, to try and kill him. The whole movie is like this. He's trying to help solve a murder. I should have I buried the lead. He's a homicide detective from Philadelphia down visiting his mom. And after that sorted out, uh, his boss in Philly tells him to stay down there and help them solve the murder. So they reluctantly work together. Um, and I don't want to really spoil any more than that. There's plenty of, I mean, this is an authentic, excellent noir mystery, um, regardless of when and where it's set. Uh, but there's a lot of great context that I think plays and rings as strong today as it did in 1967, maybe, uh, dare I say, even stronger to some parts of the country. Um, and uh, it's fantastic. Right now, if that, if that interests you, uh, you can watch this movie almost anywhere. It's on YouTube for free. It's on Pluto. It's on Tubi. It's on MGM+, Plus, Paramount+, Plus, Sling TV, Roku Channel. 
Or you can pay to watch it on some other place if you'd like. In the heat of the night, that's my small recommend. Do you have a second small recommend? I do, but before I get there, uh, this may blow your mind a little bit. I watched this two weeks ago. Um, really? Yeah, yes, for the first time. Uh, really? So I, I come very prepared for uh, this, this small what recommend. What did you think? I loved it. I yeah. absolutely adored this. Um, I, I found it to all be very... Uh, authentic and real and uh i i really kind of only knew the director uh norman jewish jewison i think jewison yeah uh through like fiddler on the roof and like musicals and and that kind of stuff and i know he's done stuff i think he did only you i think he actually directed the uh the Robert the Jr. yeah uh only wow. you and some other stuff uh since then um but uh but man this this is great great stuff it's yeah. it's it's so meaningful and deep, and yet at the same time, it's it's really funny. There's some real oh, yeah. there's some real humor in this movie. Oh yeah. Um. So yeah, I huge recommend uh, for me as well. Excellent. So yeah, I'm so glad. <clears throat> uh, the movie that I'm going to recommend for my small recommend uh, this week is The Last Picture Show, which uh, came out around the same time as uh, In the Heat of the Night. Actually, I think this was 71, but it's set before that. Um, this is a Peter Bogdanovich uh, movie that stars Jeff Bridges uh, and Sybil Shepard. Uh, and Timothy Bottoms in the the main three roles. And what surprised me about, and there's other uh, great actors in this as well. I should mention Cloris Leachman, Ellen Burstyn, um, lots of stuff. But I think this was Sybil, Sybil Shepard's like explosion onto the screen. Like I don't think she'd really been known for anything before this. Um, Jeff Bridges was fairly new as well at this time. And they are both phenomenal in this movie. But what I found really interesting about this and the reason that I'm kind of wanting to bring it to the forefront is I think this movie was ahead of its time in a lot of ways. What I mean by that is you will see these kinds of multicast, uh, really nuanced, deep look into coming of age stories happen a lot now. They didn't necessarily happen in this way in the 60s and 70s because we were still a little bit uptight about the idea of, you know, teenage sexuality, the idea of coming of age, like all that stuff. Um, and this is just an honest, real look at a lot of that stuff. I think when you watch it, you'll be surprised how modern it feels for a movie that came out in 1971. So, um I really, really liked it. I think the performances are great. I think what it has to say about um, generational trauma and growing up in uh, repression and those kind of things is is really interesting. So, the last picture. I've show. seen it. It was like five years ago. I remember really liking it, and I do remember uh, feeling like Bridges was a lot better at a younger age than I had ever really known. Um, and uh, I don't remember much more. I need to go back to it. Um, yeah. It's really good. It. It's definitely a rewatchable too. Like it's it's definitely one you 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 will want to check out again. I think. I see somebody saying we're on fire with a small recommend. Yeah, so we I'm, are. Let's go. I'm about to tank that. <laughs> um, I'm going to recommend a movie that is a 24 on Rotten Tomatoes because I think it's cool and fun and has a cool concept, but it's messy. And it's a movie called Push. Hmm. Um, this is Chris Evans playing a non-Marvel superhero he's played two marvel superheroes um this is kind of like um it's more 
wow, this movie's nothing like Unbreakable, but it's more what if superpowers were real, um, grounded than a Captain America or Fantastic Four movie. Uh, Dakota Fanning is the main co-star. She's pretty young here, but teenaged and at her absolute sassy best. Uh, and the, the premise is that psychics exist. Um, some of them can move, movers. Some of them can shade. Some of them can uh, see the future. Uh, and the government has developed a serum that boosts those abilities because they want and as in all good movies, the government wants super soldiers. Um, so Chris Evans is a guy who can push a little bit of telekinesis, but in the beginning of the movie, he hasn't used his powers for years. He's got trauma, and he's not very good at it. Dakota Fanning can see the future, uh, and she draws what she sees, but it's imperfect because it can change. Uh, and then there are villains. There are multiple villains after them. Jaimon Hansu is a main villain here. Uh, he's with the government. He's trying to catch everybody. Um, Camilla Bell's in this. She's the main MacGuffin. Everybody's after her. She's like patient zero. She uh, accepted the whatever the the, via, the medicine is that boosts the mm -hmm. powers. Um, right. And so from there, I don't really want to tell you much more if you watch it. But I, again, it's a 24 on Rotten Tomatoes, and it's 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 messy. It doesn't necessarily stick all of its landings but the visuals are cool the performances are cool i have watched it twice now and had a really good time both times um and there's a very interesting thing they do at the end with regard to memory um where because there's one guy that can wipe people's memory and the good guys use that to their advantage um anyway so there you go that's that's what it is um i i enjoy it I'm not telling you it's an A plus time. Have you seen this? Sarah? <laughs> I I have. I have. I, I did not care for it too much, but <laughs> <laughs> that happens with you and me sometimes. I don't remember being awful. Um I, I genuinely I mean it's it has probably been a decade at least since I've I've seen it. So I don't have distinct memories of it. Um but I remember thinking, well, that was uh, fine that was but, a movie yeah yeah that kind um of, so. it's on max if you want to give it a go um and you know just don't hate me if you hate it because i'm <laughs> I, I think i've i think i'm selling this fairly honestly um i think it's cool cool ideas fun good visuals sloppy execution so that, that there you go <clears throat> yeah and now it's time for this week's big recommend i'm fine i'm fine it's just that you're so Big. It's so huge. It's a good rule, but this is bigger than rules. It's bigger on the inside. Is it? I noticed. Okay, yes. Let's talk about Tim's Vermeer, shall mm -hmm. we? Mm -hmm. um, this is one I wanted to do as a big recommend because for me, I will probably use this platform in many ways to bring attention to things that I just don't think are on a lot of people's watch list. You know, it's just something that kind of went under the radar um, I loved it to death, and there are many reasons for that that we will talk about, uh, but I really wanted people to see this, and I will also use uh, this platform as an excuse to make Jeremy watch movies he hasn't watched that I love, uh, and this is one of those uh, examples as well, because I'm curious to hear what he thinks. I'm going to go through your letterbox and use this <laughs> show to make you watch movies you hate. Feel free. Feel free. <laughs> uh, that will be a wonderful experience for all. 
so the premise of this documentary, which, by the way, was produced by Penn and Teller. Yes, the magicians. In fact, Teller directed this movie. Um, and narrates and is in it. Well, Penn, Penn is in it and narrates. And oh, then sorry. Teller, I can always get their names confused. Correct. Yeah. Teller's the one that never talks publicly. Uh, so, like, he directed it and Penn did kind of the... I've the heard him talk. Yes, I, I have as well. I've heard him give... Um, lessons uh, he sat, before he sat at the same t dinner table i had dinner uh, it was just like 15 people there but he was there and he oh nice very very cool he did a show in nashville with josh childs some kind of stage show oh fun that he was a part of and i, I got to go to that dinner so. oh that's awesome so they have a friend named Tim Jennison who is the titular Tim uh in Tim's Vermeer um and this is a man who is a tinkerer, an inventor, you know, somebody who looks at the world around them and goes, has that curiosity thing where they want to know how everything works and then they want to know how they can make it work to do something interesting, right? Like that's kind of his, his thing. And they had been studying, he had been studying uh, Johannes Vermeer, this painter who comes along out of nowhere and creates these paintings that look almost photorealistic. The way the light plays in them is really interesting. And there'd been some theorizing over the years that the reason for this was because Vermeer may have used some sort of camera obscura or some sort of lens to where he was kind of tracing or copying or those kind of things. And this, of course, was very controversial in the art world, and, um, and it just stuck in Tim Jennison's brain. And the story of this movie is how he decided to go about proving that it was possible that Vermeer painted his paintings using technology. Now, there were some reasons he did that. I think the movie talks about the fact that many of uh, Vermeer's paintings have nothing underneath. If you do the, do the x-ray, there's no sketches, there's no mistakes. Like They're literally just as if they were painted right on the canvas. And so this is a little curious thing uh, involved in it. So there's all these reasons why he wants to figure this out. And the movie documents a five-year process of him working every day to create an actual Vermeer painting by him painting itself. It goes through the details of how the technology works, how the science works, the basics of it are he uh, figures out through several trial and errors that if you use a mirror in conjunction with a lens, you can actually look at the thing you're painting on and at the mirror at the same time and play a matching game with your eyes. So where the mirror bleeds into the canvas, you just match the exact color there. And over the course of time, um, you will actually reproduce whatever you're seeing uh, in this lens. Um, he tests this with some still photos that come out. Like his very first oil painting is like this perfect oil painting of his father-in-law and it's just like it's like i wrote a note that said the movie could end there and i would be mind blown <laughs> right yes yeah uh and so he goes through these processes and figures it out and uh there are setbacks there are interesting discoveries but the way the movie plays in the ideas of technology versus art versus obsession like all these things how they work together are they enemies or are they collaborators you know like all that kind of stuff is is here to think about and discover and talk about and um 
And that's why uh, I really, really dig it. Jeremy, I'm excited to hear um, what you thought your first time through Tim's Vermeer. It's fascinating. Um, I think it, it creates so many questions that you can have discussions about. Um, you know, is it still art if you're semi-tracing? Um, can sheer time and physical pain equal artistry mm -hmm. um i i think it's i think it's crucial to point out that this guy was so successful with some of his early inventions that he's independently wealthy correct and yes. can take five years <laughs> to spend right. every day yes. on a hunch um so it's it's not really possible for a normal person an average person to do this um but when he started talking that first painting of his father-in-law about moving his eyes up and down i realized that is exactly what i do with my silly bird doodles i post on twitter oh interesting i pull up two or three photographs on the computer and i am up downing as i freehand mm -hmm. to try and draw this animal myself and i just thought it was fascinating that without any of his technology uh i'm still using at least one of the techniques that go with it i went and got a few mirrors and successfully shot on my desktop a very high res version of a picture from my computer mm -hmm. i would have to put tracing paper over it to trace it and i don't really want to trace it anyway but the fact that this movie ended and i immediately went and got three mirrors out of the bathroom <laughs> i think says a lot about how much it stimulated my brain mm -hmm. and i also think this was not entirely healthy not necessarily physically, but mentally. I yeah, mean, the obsession part that the movie plays with is is an interesting part of I it. Think, yeah. yeah, I think that is one of the main themes. Is And it's not only Tim's obsession. Vermeer would have to have been equally obsessed. Correct. Um, and I don't think it's a healthy obsession, um, physically or mentally. He even complains about pain, physical pain when he finally sees the painting, he breaks down. Mm -hmm. And... I yeah, he says he says today is the day I've been waiting for, and then he just goes silent and then just starts weeping. He it's, starts crying. Yeah, and I don't listen. I'm not trying to read the guy's mind. I don't think he's crying because the painting is beautiful. I think he's crying because it's done, and he's spent five years on it, and that that bottles some emotions up inside. And so I hope he went to therapy after this was over. Mm -hmm. Um what he accomplishes is incredible and you know if you had if you want to get the equipment shows him i think one of the most impressive things about the whole movie is him building the the scale replica of the room vermeer painted in yes yeah. he's not a woodworker but he builds wooden furniture and it's amazing. he creates his own lens there's a and whole nother movie in that montage like that yes. could have been a whole different movie yes there's a reason it took five years because he was building all this shit perfectly mm -hmm. expertly and learning how to do most of these skills along the way. His true skills are basically with technology and electronics. At least that's his core skill. So I would love to see another documentary about him 
building inventions or mm -hmm. taking on another project that doesn't take five years. By the time he's doing all those dots on the carpet, and I even wrote down, he goes to the camera, you know, it gets old painting this carpet. <laughs> and it's just, <laughs> he's so exhausted. He yeah. so wants to be done, but he can't. That's the obsession. Well, in somebody, in somebody asks him at one point, an interviewer asks him, would you still be doing this if you weren't making the movie? And he says, no. He no, says, I'd have quit a long, I would have walked away a long time ago if we weren't making this movie, which I found really fascinating because that means his obsession has bled into this documentary yeah. and not just this painting project. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, absolute bonehead move to put that propane heater inside. Oh, my goodness. They were, I mean, play plays it off with a laugh like that was a bad idea. They uh -huh. nearly died uh -huh. because they were just so cold instead uh -huh. of just skipping a day they're in san antonio it's not going to be 40 degrees for very long mm -hmm. um but anyway yeah no i was riveted uh i think i immediately went and talked to my wife for about 30 minutes about art and about now she's going to watch this movie later tomorrow i think um what is art um because the, some in the art world are really upset about this film or the books that preceded the film mm -hmm. suggested for mere use of lens um I guess the suggestion is it's not like I think even Penn says it's is it not art unless you just walk right up to the canvas and mm -hmm. do it freehand. Right. Um and I, I conclude that it is. I conclude that it is art. Um it's just a process. You take a if Vermeer had had a camera and music lesson was a photograph and not a painting, mm -hmm. we would still call that art. Photography right. is an art. So Using technology to achieve the final image is not a cheat. Um, and I don't think you can discount the obsession slash dedication that it takes. Vermeer did tons of these. You yeah, know, that's what blew one. my mind. Like, is I, like, I think one of the ultimate questions of the movie is, what, that it wants you to ask when you walk away, is do you think Vermeer actually did this? And I, I lean very heavily yes until I start thinking about how long it took. And then I'm like... How is it possible that he did this for all of his paintings, that he would set up a room? And now, now, granted, he's not recreating a room, so that time is shortened now. He's just setting it up how he wants to set it up before he paints it. But even the actual painting process is a year long, right? So, oh, yeah. like, I, I just, it, it is still possible, but then my brain starts to go, I'm not. I'm not sure. I wonder if there's more to it, um, to it than this, but it's, I, I think there might be, uh, I'd love to see a follow-up when somebody figures it out. Like, uh, it's crazy to me that these guys in the 1600s were like so secretive. Like this dude didn't write down anything Nothing, about yeah. his technique because he didn't want anyone to know how he did it. That alone suggests he was doing something beyond just walking up to a canvas and right. painting. And also there are no <laughs> records of him uh, having an apprenticeship with another painter, which was very common in that day. So like there are all these little clues that he figured out, uh, you know, a way to paint that, that was different than everybody else. So, yeah. 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 Also, I thought one of the things that I think you could put on this guy's tombstone that really defines him, instead of building the harpsichord table leg in two pieces, he cut his lathe in half with a saw <laughs> so that he could lay the longer piece of wood. Uh -huh. That is an insane way to go about 
but he was so dedicated to the perfection of that bill. Even though he could have hid the two-piece glue together and no one would have ever seen it and it wouldn't have been in his painting, he would have known it was there. And yeah. just like that curve he almost started doing with the... It's my favorite part pattern. of the movie. It's my yeah. favorite. The seahorse <clears throat> smile is my favorite moment in the movie because it's, a, it's one of those beautiful scientific moments, right? The, the discovery of something that you think is an error, but then you realize is actually a confirmation, right? He's like, mm -hmm. oh, I must be doing something wrong. But then when he looks at the original print of Ver Vermeer, that slight curve can be seen in some yep. places. And he's like, that's confirmation. Like, because yeah. that curve doesn't happen without a concave lens. Yes. Like, it, it's uh, that, that in the light. Uh, diffusion idea that they talk about were two of the key proofs for me too. I've actually been playing a a, a game called I Love Hue, H U E. In uh, it, okay. the the concept of the game is that there are these pinned colors across the board, and then you have to place the other pieces in the puzzle so that the color progresses from one to the other. And one thing you'll find out very quickly playing a game like this is. You will move something from one side of the board that you think is green. You'll put it where you think it goes, and you'll realize, oh, that's pink. Because your eye can't tell the oh, difference between two things that are separated like that. Yeah. And yeah. it's only when you put them close so together that you can see. it's a game built out of an optical illusion, basically. Yes. Yeah. Is it an app? Yeah. Yeah, you can find it on, on your app store. Uh, the one I'm playing is actually I Love Hue 2. Um, so I think I'm playing the second one. But, uh, but oh, yeah. But that, uh, but that is, I think, another one of the the big proofs as well uh, through the movie. Um, the other question I wanted to ask uh, to ask you, Jeremy, is: Do you think this discussion is relevant to how we're talking about machine learning today, and as that involves writing or painting or creating art or all those kind of things? Like, how do we? check ourselves in our view of technology and what it can create in light of seeing this. Did you have any of those thoughts? What are some of your, your thoughts in that regard? Um, I mean, obviously it does. You can connect the dots there um, mm -hmm. and have a conversation about that. But the difference is, what is the difference? It's not software. <laughs> it's, it can't be software, right? Because artists use software on tablets to draw. Mm -hmm. Well, and like he, uh, he comes, Tim comes from the world of computer generated graphics too. Like he made most of his money with Video Toaster, this idea that you could, you know, interpolate uh, computer generated graphics. And so Pixar, they have algorithms and software they use to create the in between frames, right? Like that's, you know, that's not uh, necessarily something that they are, you know, uh, uh, not used to doing. I guess what I would have to say is this this is where I stand now. Don't throw this in my face tomorrow. <laughs> Even if you're listening to this. What? Can you imagine this, this culture using something you've said in the past to define who you are today? I'm willing to say, I'll ask you a question. Does art yeah. have to be created by a human being? I think that is the central question, Jeremy. I think that is, my answer to that is no. My answer to that so is. So that's where I'm at. An AI can make a piece of art. And I'm willing to call it art, but mm -hmm. I don't have any respect for that art. I'm never going to buy that art knowingly. Um, and I'm going to support human-created art as much as I can. Mm -hmm. But I'm still willing to let you put the, the label on that. It's, it's art. It's a wildly... Uh... 
it is a wild connection to the deeper conversation about the idea of uh, when we do achieve artificial intelligence, and a lot of the things we, we are talking about are not artificial intelligence. They are machine learning, which are two different things. And maybe that changes the perspective. But when we do achieve like actual artificial intelligence, this idea of uh, you know AI rights, the idea of treating AI as a sentient being, like all that kind of stuff plays into well, then what makes human art better than AI art? You know what I mean? Like, then you start having those, then is that a prejudice that I have towards a human sentient being as opposed to an artificial? It's got to be sentient before I'm going to really give it. Correct. Correct. I totally Um, understand that. And I think we're a ways off from that uh, as much as we're having fun conversations. Mm -hmm. Uh, Slab brings up an interesting point in the chat. Uh, He says, dolphin, I'm going to go with elephant. Elephants Mm -hmm. paint. And I would call that art, yes, sure. because it's created by a, a living creature and not, um, you know, an algorithm, ones and zeros. And what you're seeing when people say AI and are showing you art or video, like, oh, scary AI puts Nick Cage in Star Wars or what have <laughs> you, that's all machine learning. It's just gobbling up tons and tons of video and photos and then spitting something out. Uh, and a lot of it is still pretty silly. I've, I've had several people send me uh, video scripts done by ChatGPT for our videos that are hilariously bad. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we've got we've got a ways to go uh, before we get to sentience. And I think we're in the same place, you and I, there on that. I yes, I think I think we are uh, we are in the same place. I always try to check myself and uh, kind of look through any prejudices I might have towards the idea of technology because I am so pro, I'm a tech optimist, a tech optimist. Like I'm very pro how technology can help us lead to better things in the future. I, I often see the positive effects of technology as heavier than the negative effects. And, um, and so that's yeah, just I go through all the negative shit first though, man, like right. all the, totally. all the plausible utopias I've ever heard or read about, are tech heavy mm-hmm. uh and and it's tech being used in ways that help um and and not hurt <laughs> but yeah you know we, i i don't have a lot of faith in our current crop of people with the money and decision making power to, to do the right thing um yeah but we'll see how yeah. they're going to be killed by a robot or a nuke i figure <laughs> at this point and Honestly, the robot would be more pleasant, I think. Um, Probably. So bring it on. I, yeah. for one, welcome our new robot overlord. There you go. Just get that on the record. Uh, anything else you wanted to say about Tim's Vermeer? I think I have uh, a couple other things I could uh, before we finish um, up. I don't have any other notes. Uh, just I really, really enjoyed it. Really thought-provoking. Um, and, yeah, if you're, if you're listening to the pod but hadn't had a chance to check it out, I would encourage you to. It's on Hulu, and uh, it's deep, man. <clears throat> uh, the other couple things I wanted to mention in my notes, uh, the fact that Tim Jennison, when he was a kid, learned to play piano by slowing down a player piano and following along with the keys tells that you everything right you need to know about this man. That alone <laughs> right there is tells you how his brain works. Right. And it's just – it's it's – I'd be curious to know what his IQ is. Not that that's a be-all, end-all measurement of intelligence, but that guy's brain is working on another level. And then there was a quote that I thought was good and I wanted to pull out. It kind of plays into what we were just talking about, but 
at some point, uh, one of the experts that they talk to, which, by the way, we haven't really talked about them, but it's so fun to watch these people who have studied this forever watch him do this and just kind I love of be the dude in... rocking back and forth in his wheelchair. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's the painting. He's so <laughs> yes. excited. Yeah. Uh, one of them at one point says, this wasn't the quote I was going to say, but one of them at one point says, uh, this is better than Vermeer. <laughs> You're a better Vermeer than Vermeer was, <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but one of them at one point says, was Vermeer a machine? Perhaps Vermeer was strong enough to believe he was a machine. And I found that quote really, really interesting. The idea of how we can turn ourselves into an objective uh, accomplishment as opposed to the subjectivity that, you know, plagues us, right? Like, I feel like Tom Brady's done that, right? Like he's, he's right. turned himself into a machine mm -hmm. um, in the way yeah. he works out and his diet. I don't think that guy's had sugar in like 15 years, man. <laughs> It's yeah. absurd. There you go. Um, That's Tim's Vermeer. Uh, I also, you made me uh, remember the the scene where they want to go. <laughs> they want to go see the, the real painting, but it's in Buckingham Palace. Oh right, he yes, says no. yes. And so you hear <laughs> Penn go. So we shot this whole thing about how much the Queen is angry, and then they speed it up. And then mm -hmm. he's like, the next day she changed her mind. <laughs> and so Tim gets to go in and see the painting. He can't take any. He can't take any notes. He can't take a camera. He can only record with his eyes. Mm -hmm. And he spends thirty minutes with the painting. And the way he talks about it feels like he had a religious experience. Yeah, yeah. It's. I love hearing people talk about art that way. That they are. They are so moved. Uh, and I recognize that Vermeer is considered by many to be one of the greatest painters ever. And this is rare for anybody to be able to see this painting. But he's all, he's done so much work up to this point when he gets to see the painting that I felt like that was a really beautiful moment. <clears throat> there were a couple of those moments. I also think of when he started applying the varnish and just to hear him talk about how it brought the painting to life. That's got to yeah. be such magic. And then just even at the end, the very last shot, you know, it's like him sitting with a Vermeer above his, you know, a fireplace. His mantle. Yeah, <laughs> it's like in his own house. This is like, I've got like a Vermeer. I mean, I painted it, but that's a Vermeer. Uh, <laughs> I painted it. Uh, yeah, no, that's good stuff. <clears throat> yeah. What about your uh, super secret uh, uh, double feature, I should say? Be very, very quiet. Secret. What secret? A dirty little secret. i tell you something I've never told anyone. Um, I immediately thought of one that i thought was so dead on i typically might not use it mm. i also realized it's also very underseen uh and no one in our chat has come close to this so i'm gonna go with it but first i want to tell you i wanted to go with the prestige um mm. because i think that has two elements that match obsession and what counts as magic yeah similar to what counts as art um but I decided to go with something that was a much more direct experience, and it's Exit Through the Gift Shop. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> this is a documentary uh, with Banksy and a bunch of other street artists and a man who has been filming street artists who decides to become a street artist and is instantly wildly successful. And may or may not be Banksy himself. And may or may <laughs> not be Banksy himself. The entire thing may have been staged and a hoax and no one can say for sure either way. Uh, and so I just feel like that's too perfect a pairing uh, on the questions of art, mm -hmm. what counts as art and why does art have value? Um, and uh, 
So yeah, exit through the gift shop is my super secret double feature. Sadly, you have to rent this movie. Um, there's no streaming service that has that movie on it currently. Um, but if you go to someplace like Amazon, you can buy it or you can rent it. Um, you've seen that, right? Oh yes, yeah. It's 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 another very fascinating documentary. I, I yeah. really enjoy it. I uh, it was too it's too good for me to pass up. I also briefly thought about the Aviator just for the obsession. Mm, but, mm -hmm. Sure. Um, it, it ends a lot ne more negatively than Tim's Vermeer does. <laughs> um, all right. So next week's homework, I had to pivot at the last minute for reasons that will only be known to me and Aaron, and it's Booksmart. <laughs> This is a 2019 comedy. Um, Olivia Wilde directed. Um, Beanie Feldstein and Caitlin Deemers are your stars. It's on Peacock. It's on FUBU TV. And it's, if you have a premium subscription on Hulu, you can watch it there. It's rentable in a bunch of other places. Uh, it just didn't make very much money. Um, you look at this movie's box office, I think it's like 20-some million dollars. Um, $25 million. Uh, that to me screams horribly underseen. Uh, and this movie is outstanding. If you've seen Don't Worry Darling and you have questions about Olivia Wilde's leadership, uh, put them aside because Booksmart is a home run. Um, so there you go. That'll be next week's movie. Very much looking forward to it. I have not seen it since I saw it. Yeah, I don't so, think I have either. Yeah. yeah, I'm very much looking forward to it. <clears throat> it's on Prime and Tubi in Canada, says the Crimson Pez. Thank you. Crimson Pez. Nice. Uh, all right, now we're going to do some questions because we skirted them for a few weeks now. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I am listening. Somehow we talked about Tim Vermeer and the Bear season two and still had time for questions. Amazing. Well done. What that by tells all. me is we could technically go back to talking about the Bear, but let's not <laughs> do that. Um, some of these questions have been sitting here for a while and they're going to they're gonna get stale. Uh, what is the most obscure movie you've ever seen in a theater? Um, I think when you're talking about my uh, movie critic career, uh, you're dealing with a lot of obscure movies. So I could name a lot of very obscure movies. Many of the ones probably at the top of that list are the faith-based films that I've seen mm. over the years that are just very obscure uh, movies um, like 2015's Marshall's Miracle. Anybody remember Marshall's Miracle? No, no, you don't. Uh, 2016's The Masked Saint. Anybody remember The Masked Saint? No, no, you don't. Uh, so, yeah, those are probably the ones the most obscure that I've seen in a theater. I would go to a theater and see these things. Yeah, that's wild. I have two. One you may have heard of. That's uh, a little horror movie called Rubber, where a bouncing rolling tire um, kills some people at a hotel. Hmm. And it's wild. Um, the trailer before that was Hobo with a shotgun. Um, give you a little bit clue of the vibe uh i'm pretty sure i saw rubber with chris uh at the bill court here in nashville which we talk about a lot then there's a movie that was made in nashville that is the most nashville movie ever in that all the local actors in nashville at the time are in it and it's a musical and it's insane and it's called existo uh and i saw it at the nashville film festival uh and my buddy josh's older brother jeremy is in it um and there's a, a song where a guy is bouncing He's in clown makeup, clown makeup, he's bouncing on a stage <laughs> on a ball, and he's going fucking a, fucking a. It's just an absurdist, uh, ridiculous film. 
and uh, so that would be my answer to that question. Sounds amazing. Anybody over here got any answers? Uh, Kung Pao, Slav says. That's, that's pretty obscure, I think, mm-hmm. for most people. Yeah. Um, what movies or performances that are generally disliked do you think could have been good under different circumstances? Uh, I'm going to go with Holly Berry and Catwoman. Um, I just think that's a poorly made film. I think it it loses its intention and doesn't really understand what it's trying to do. But I actually think she really nails that part. I think in a different Catwoman movie, uh, Holly Berry could have been uh, amazing if she had been given a deeper character to play and some better dialogue to say. Um, mm. So, yeah, that's my Remember choice. when she was in that James Bond movie and they were going to do a spinoff of her character, but yeah. nobody liked it? <clears throat> I do remember that. I think her name was Jax. I think that's Why correct. do I know that? Because <laughs> you remember Why do things. I know that? You I saw things. that movie once. Um, I'm going to go uh, with, this is probably controversial, especially for you, but Tom Hanks and Elvis. Um, I realize what this movie is doing, and it kind of needs that character, and maybe it needs that performance, but every time Austin Butler was not the focal point of that movie, it lost energy for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I don't know if we, I want to recast Colonel Tom Parker, because that guy's way too influential in Elvis's life to not have in the movie. But the way he becomes this narrator, puppet mastery kind of guy, and again, I get it. I know it's Baz Luhrmann. I get it. But um, for me, I would rather have had, I can't believe I'm saying this, a, a more straightforward Elvis <laughs> pick that focused more on Austin Butler. I guess he took a swing, and I didn't actually think it's a bad performance. It just it just dragged the movie every time it went to focus on that character. So I think you're right. I think the issue is not the performance. I actually think the performance is okay. I think the issue is the way the story structure centers around that character. Yeah. Um, it's it's problematic for a couple reasons. Number one, I think it turns that character into something different than the rest of the movie, so it feels out of place. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's already over the top, so it's already dealing with feeling out of place. So I think that hinders that character. Uh, and then the other part is it does it, it manages to do the thing that all of these recent biopics have done, which is they completely remove agency from their central character. So it yep. no longer becomes Elvis's bad choices or Elvis's mistakes. It becomes Tom Parker manipulating him in, in those kind of things. This was the same in Bohemian Rhapsody. Freddie Mercury didn't own any of his issues because it was just the people around him were doing. The Whitney Houston one is the exact same. And it's yep. and it comes from the desire to continue to have these people elevated how we want them to be elevated. And so we try to spread the blame around for you know, who they became, the things that they did, uh, the choices that they made. And I think it steals authenticity from these movies. And I think it uh, does in Elvis as well. So, yeah. Interesting. All right, let's do another. Um, <clears throat> Helen Slater and Supergirl. Yeah. <laughs> I feel you there. Um, <clears throat> what are some of the most gut punch moments from TV for you? Hmm. Uh, I, there really is just one answer to this for me. It is the Jurassic Bark episode of Futurama. Um, oh, yeah, the yeah. it's 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 a really interesting case study in television as well. If you ever want to research kind of this episode, um, but it is such a powerful ending where we are 
where Fry, who, by the way, one of the funniest shows ever made, um, you know, it's it's not quite simpsons legendary status but it's really close and the longer it keeps coming back and the more funny it it keeps being um uh it's it's interesting to compare the two but uh but fry is under the impression that clearly his dog went and lived a happy life and you know didn't wait for him there uh at the cryo chamber and the show ends by letting us know that uh, that's not the case. That's not what happened. And that dog was, you know, completely devoted and very, very lonely. And what a what a just gut punch way to end that episode. Uh, one of the interesting things about it is that they kind of retconned that later in the series. There was an episode that hinted or indicated that actually it was more like Fry thought it was going to be. And the the creator, uh, I can't remember if it was the writer or director of that episode. I, these episodes have lots of writers, but it was sure. you know one of the writer, maybe the director of the episode, was told in an interview that they had done that, and he didn't realize it. And he was like, "Well, that's a bummer." He's <laughs> like, "Why did they undo that?" Uh, but oh, wow. uh, but yeah, just one of those uh, interesting little codas. But uh, shows but yeah. have multiple writers unless it's a Taylor Sheridan show. <laughs> that's right. Then it's all all ta- all Taylor. Um, did you? Did you see the quote he made about the writer's strike? That's uh, what I'm referencing. Oh, Taylor? No, no, I didn't. He basically said, um, if, the stu- if, if they want to pay four people to sit in a room and do nothing, that's on the studio. But for me to share writing credit with something that I've wholly created in my own brain is too big an ask, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of got people on both sides going, hey, we might have a point. <laughs> anyway, um, so for me, I could have said a lot of things here, and we'll get to the chat here in a second. This question set the chat on fire. Um, <laughs> but for me, I settled on the Hold the Door episode of Game of Thrones, yeah, which pays off in a gut-punch way a character with what seemed like a goofy name, a lovable, devoted character who seemed like a fringe character with a weird name, ends up playing a crucial i don't i don't want to say too much about it it's so it's so impactful um for me it was at least mm-hmm. um no where i agree a moment of trauma and magical danger transports through time <clears throat> where he's almost sharing experiences with his younger self oh man it just it breaks my heart um to know how that it's basically his origin story mm-hmm. and his death mm-hmm. all wrapped up in one yeah. scene. It's so heartbreaking. Yeah. It really made no, it almost, that's a good choice. It almost broke me. Yeah. Um, so in the chat, first thing I saw was Ozymandias. That's breaking bad for mm-hmm. sure. Scrubs, Brendan Fraser. I've seen that one mentioned a bunch, but I have not seen Scrubs. Uh, where do you think you are? Slab says in quotes, don't know what he's referencing. <laughs> Marshall's dad on how I met your mother. Again, a show I have not seen. Um, a bunch of people agree with you about the dog. Mm-hmm. Um, house when a character died scrubs. Well, I should maybe read these before I say them out loud. Um, <laughs> Supernatural when Sam died. Uh, that one, uh, probably impactful as well. Haven't seen that show, but I was about 100 yards away from those guys once, and uh, they stole all of our audience. <laughs> we were at a con in Rhode Island, and we had seats for 200, and we had about 150 in there, but like 
30 minutes later, the supernatural panel started in the mm-hmm. next room over and they had 3,000 seats and we lost a bunch of our audience <laughs> when that started. And I don't know that I blame That's them. That's all right. I once, I once performed somewhere uh, for about 50 people until they brought out uh, free pizza in the very back of the room and then there were, oh, no. three, there were three people left. <laughs> so. oh, no. No, it's no good. All right, that's going to do it for today. Uh, thanks to everybody in the chat for coming out. Uh, we really appreciate your input, and your feedback. That happens live. Uh, you can watch us live on Twitch or on YouTube. Um, we will be recording, Aaron. When do we record next? It's a great question. Uh, I'm I'm good on the 4th of July. would be the normal time. If uh, I am, too. Then we'll do the 4th I of July. I'm not a ceremonial guy, right. so let's do it. Maybe people will be off work that haven't usually sure. been able to. That could be fun. So Tuesday, Central Standard Time, 4th of July. Don't you bring any goddamn fireworks. Uh, <laughs> for Aaron Dyser, this is Jerry Scott saying goodbye. We'll see you next time, everybody. Bye-bye. part of the live show by being a member of the sin club at patreon at patreon.com slash cinema sins chat with us on the cinema sins discord at discord.gg slash cinema sins or cinema sins twitter at cinema sins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at cinema sins.com that's r-e-c-o-t-o-p-i-a at cinema sins.com How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I've been whistling the Indiana Jones theme all day. Uh, have you seen the new one? No, I'm going to see it today, which is probably why it's in my head so much. Um, I see. It's interesting. The day the day I go see a new movie for me is like the day I allow myself to start thinking about it, to start getting excited about it. Sure. Like I think for most people in fan culture right now. They're thinking about these properties way too early. Like they're, oh, yeah. you know, researching all the news and that kind of stuff. And I've just, I've really fallen into a groove, especially since I stopped watching trailers of just like not thinking about a movie till it's time for it to come out. And I kind of right. love that. It's kind of yeah. fun. <laughs> There's also something I think in our brains, like when we were going to go to that Nickel Creek concert that got canceled because dude right. broke his vocal cords. Right. Uh, for the three days leading up to that, I woke up and all morning I was singing Nickel Creek songs. Mm-hmm. And to me, I was like, oh, that's interesting. But immediately I went, oh, I'm going to this concert soon. My, my subconscious knows and it's, it's mm-hmm. these synapses are firing. Yeah. And all these, the brain is weird, dude. This morning uh, I was at the grocery and I heard somebody uh, call their grandfather Pappy mm. uh, as they went by. And I had this flash of memory when I'm like, Five of this pizza place we used to go to called Pappy's Pizza, where they mm-hmm. had a player piano and barbershop quartet hats mm-hmm. that, that you could have if you were a kid and take home. Uh, hello, my baby, those kind of hats. Um, <laughs> and I had forgotten all about that. But I don't think that stuff ever leaves your brain. I just think the path isn't as well worn. And so, you know, it kind of doesn't get visited uh until something refires that synapse or something i just think that's weird i haven't thought about brains brains are amazing uh and my brain went two different ways so i'm going to try to go both of them but one was just a quick one uh you were in indiana how close were you to indianapolis um 
uh, in high school, uh, 30 minutes. In middle okay. school, an hour. I, remember, I have this memory of when we would go to Indianapolis of a place called the Pizza Palace, maybe. Oh, with had, an organ? Yeah, that had an organ that came yeah. like that came up and like they played it and stuff. Like I hadn't thought about that for years until you just mentioned. That's the- crazy. I have I have thought about that. That place I remembered. There was one in Fort Wayne too, and, and when we lived further north, that's the one we would go to. Uh, but that was a big birthday place, uh, and you know they'd bring out this huge pizza. Right, when you're a kid. yeah. All pizza is good, and then you could request, "I want to hear him play the Star Wars theme," and then right, the guy yeah. on the organ would play the Star Wars theme. Yeah, that was awesome. I remember that place. Uh, what else was the, what was the other place? You, so that that so that place was real. I didn't just make that up. Um, nope. So the other thing is, yesterday morning during my uh, walk, I've been walking outside. In a little bit of running, but mostly walking these uh, right now. But um, I was walking outside, and at our park, I, I got into the park on my normal route. I looked up, and I saw a deer. And this is a park I never see deer at, right? Like, this is kind of with – I mean, it is within city limits, lots of houses around. I mean, that deer would have had to have been lost, you know, to be hanging out in this park. So I quick, I open up my phone. I like, I'm going to take a picture, like a picture of this rare deer in this park, pull my phone up, hit zoom. And in my brain, the deer transforms into wooden sticks and flags. It was always wooden sticks and flags, but my brain had seen a deer across the park. It was like, it was one of the weirdest things where I was like, I had to, like, I had to think about, I'm like, Wait, that's not a like I I swore my brain told me there was a deer in that park. It was one of the weirdest things. It was like it was like those movies you see when like the little kid has a monster in their room and then they look up and it's actually you know like a shirt and you know a yeah, hat hanging like off a ladder. Yeah, or something. it was yeah. that kind of experience where I was like, what did my brain just do? That's so weird. Um, <laughs> this was a silly event. It was like a youth organized all night pray in. Okay. I was 16, 17. Uh-huh. I had to Probably drive. in conjunction with like the 24-hour famine or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't but there were no adults. Uh there I mean there was a college student who was one kid's older brother and he was kind of leading it and mm-hmm. he had keys to the church. Um and we did as much basketball as we did praying. Um but on my drive home, which was pre-dawn, which was not wise cuz I hadn't slept. Mhm. I slammed on my brakes for a deer in the middle of the road that ultimately was not there. Um, (laughs) Mine, I think, is more attributable to... Lack of sleep? Lack of sleep. Yeah. But I still saw that deer, and I was full stop. I I stopped the car. Um, Yeah, but there was no deer. And then the rest of the drive home, I was like, okay, Jeremy, you better pay attention. Maybe it was a deer, and he's just messing with me. He's hiding behind the tree, he's giggling. Like, you think you're going to get a picture of me in this park? Poof. He, he installed the sticks and flags before he hid, you know, just in the time <laughs> I got my, my camera out. We get a lot of deer here um, and turkeys. But the other day, uh, I had McDonald's. I guess this was Tuesday. And driving into McDonald's, there was a wild turkey in the parking lot. This is only three miles from my house, but this is on a main four-lane highway road that runs the whole county. Um, there's no reason there should have been a wild turkey there. Like mm-hmm. you said, that deer, he was, this guy was lost. Yeah. I was in the drive-thru, so I didn't get to like watch his adventure and see where he ended up. But I'm rooting for him. I hope he made it.
somebody's going to lose their internet. Um, <laughs> and I just think we should prep for that. If that happens, sure. the other guy should just keep going. <laughs> At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com.